You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Drinks with Johnny podcast. Thanks for being here with me this week. Hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. I am feeling good today. I had an awesome weekend taking my son down to Legoland for the Halloween stuff going on down there. And as a bonus, my Raiders got another victory this season. Uh, I know it's not against one of the most competitive teams or anything like that, but I did have a bet. Uh, that I lost with Matt Money Smith earlier on in the season, and I owned up to it and wore the Chargers shirt in this episode. You guys wouldn't know that though, just by listening. You'd have to head over to the Drinks with Johnny YouTube channel to watch that. Um, and of course, just by listening, I didn't mention it in this episode. I was hoping it never came up, which it didn't. But I did own up to it. I did wear the Chargers shirt. So the fact that the Raiders won this weekend and, of course, that the Chargers lost, it just took a bit of the sting off of losing that bet. Uh, Again, that was just for this week's episode, and uh, I'm so glad you guys are here with us for this one as I had a chance to sit down with Mark Tremonti of the band Alter Bridge. He's also been uh, in his own solo projects and, of course, Creed. Mark was just such a great guest to have on here. I, uh, we, of course, talked about Alter Bridge's new release, Pawns and Kings, that came out last week on Friday. Uh, what was that? October 21st. I guess that was now uh, two weeks ago, technically. And, of course, we got into something that I found extremely interesting, a project that Mark Tremonti does uh, called Tremonti Sing Sinatra. Uh, This is a really cool uh, project that he's done. We get into all of that and what it means to him as it is a charitable thing that he started after uh, he got the news that his youngest daughter had Down syndrome. Um, This this is an incredible project. His voice is amazing on it. I strongly urge you guys to go check it out and learn more about it. We get into that and so much more on this episode. It was an absolute pleasure talking to Mark. We will be having him later on this week for a follow-up call. So make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast to hear that. Now, before I get to this actual chat and this episode, I want to remind each and every one of you to head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and pick up your stencils for pumpkin carving. Uh, This is going to be your only way of entering into the contest. Make your pumpkin 
tag us on all of your social media. We'll take a look. And the best pumpkin carving is going to win a chance to watch a horror movie of your choice alongside yours truly. Um, there's only, you know, this is the last week of it pretty much, guys. So if you want to enter in that, go to drinkswithjohnny.com. Learn a little bit more about all that. And uh, I guess that's it for right now. So I'm going to let you guys listen to this chat with Mark Tremonti of Ultra Bridge. What's up, man? Hey, how are you, Mark? Good. So? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's an early morning for me. I think you are probably the earliest guest I've had on this show so far. <laughs> oh, yeah? You ready to drink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got my coffee ready to go, man. I, 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 <laughs> it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Where are you out in the world right now? I'm in Orlando. Mm. Is that home base for you? Yes, sir. Awesome, man. Well, we're already rolling so that you know we're, uh, we're, we're going to get right into it here tonight, uh, today, this morning, whatever. See, it's too early. I don't even know what the fuck I'm supposed to say. Um, man, I'm excited to have you here on the show. I was just talking to uh, your bandmate and friend, Miles Kennedy, two days ago um, already about this uh, new record, Ponds and Kings, for Ultra Bridge coming out. But, I mean, you got so many other projects for us to talk about here today, too. Um, do you have, like, an ongoing, like, competition with Miles of who could have more uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> collaborations or, or, or just, you know, uh, thing, uh, jobs to do out there in the music world? And we just love it, man. We just love going after it. I think our, our biggest competition was when we had nine months to put this record together, putting in demos for the, uh, he put in two demos. I put in two demos. He put in three, I put in three. <laughs> so we, uh, you know, just, uh, we, we love to work, you know, love doing what we do. That's awesome, man. So, uh, w one thing I wanted to go straight into was Mark Tremonti sings Sinatra. Uh, I was listening to this. Uh, I understand it was for some kind of, uh, L the LP was kind of for charity of some kind. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that right? Can you tell me a little bit about this project and that charity? Yeah. So, um, so about three years ago, I became obsessed with singing like Frank Sinatra and I just um, went deep down the rabbit hole and uh, I practiced it just like I did when I was a kid practicing the guitar. I would study and, and um, I, over the over a couple of years, I started feeling good about it, but I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it. Uh, and then my daughter was diagnosed um, before she was born with Down syndrome. So oh. I had read all kinds of books uh, about Frank Sinatra's life and how he was such a philanthropist and he had raised over a billion dollars for charity. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to record a record of Frank Sinatra songs. And um, we partnered up with the National Down Syndrome Society to do the record. And we got the... Uh, the approvals from the Sinatra state to use Frank Sinatra's name and likeness, which was very hard to do because they've yeah. only done that for like Michael Bublé and Tony Bennett. So it was really hard to get that done. And then on top of that, we partnered up with Frank Sinatra's touring band, the, the surviving members of Frank Sinatra's band. So I got to go in the studio with, with the guys and record 14 tracks. And, um, I'm, you know, for the, for the drinks with Johnny show here, I've got all my, uh, my oh, whoa, Sinatra, my Sinatra select Jack Daniels. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So this is, uh, I'm surrounded cool. by Sinatra stuff these days, but no, we've, um, you know, since the records come out, we've, we've raised three quarters of a million dollars. So we're, we're getting close to that million dollar mark and, uh, awesome. couldn't be happier about it. 
wow, that's that. I mean, that's such a cool. So it's it's such a cool cause behind it. I mean, I was just listening to it, didn't even realize that there was a cause behind it. Uh, where can people go real quick? Just tell them where they could go if they if they want to listen to and donate uh, to the cause. There, we'll put a little description down here and below. Yeah, you just go to TremontiSingSinatra.com. It should be all on there. And you know, on top of that, I started this. Uh, um, this thing called take a chance for charity. So for guys like you, I would challenge you or anybody, you know, to do something that your fans would have no idea, um, would, would not see coming in a million years, something completely different than, than rock something. Um, it could be good. It could be bad. It could be funny. It could be serious, whatever it is, whatever it is, is different. It's raising money for charity under take a chance for charity. And I, I've got a bunch of friends lined up to do projects uh, as we speak. So hopefully it, hopefully it takes off. Oh, that's an awesome, that's a great idea. And I would love to be a part of it. I, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head what I would do for, <laughs> for anything there, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Anything for charity, man. Uh, I would be a hundred percent on board. Um, let's get back into the actual recording that though, as you mentioned, I was going to ask mm-hmm. how, how the strings arrangements, the band was being recorded and stuff. You already mentioned that some of the guy remaining guys, uh, uh, who are still alive from Sinatra's band. Um, where did you guys record that? Record this at? How was the, you know, who, who helped produce and mix this? Because I know getting a live band in together in a room, uh, you know, can, can have its challenges sometimes. So how, how were you able to accomplish all that? Yeah, so we recorded up in Chicago. And um, it, there's a studio, there's a couple studios there that can, that are suitable for the big band thing. And, um, the one that we recorded at was um, right across from the old Caprini Green before, you know, after they had torn all that down in, in Chicago. There's, uh, it's a great little studio. You'd never know it was there. We had um, 17 artists recording. So it was uh, everybody but the saxophones recorded because we couldn't fit everybody. This was during COVID. Right. So we had the trumpets, the trombones, the drums, the bass, um, piano and vocal going at one time and then the saxophones had to come in afterwards um but 15 out of 17 guys were original members of sinatra's band and then two guys were um younger guys that kind of filled in and um actually the bass player most of the tracks uh was julian smith mike smith is, is frank sinatra's band leader his son who played with uh, lady gaga on tour oh, came and, and, and cracked the bass and he's he's just uh top notch and he's he's one of the guys that when we do shows, like I have a show in next next week, I have a show with the guys here in Orlando, and um, Mike Smith, the band leader, alto sax, flies in. Um, Carrie Deadman, who did a lot of Frank Sinatra's arranging, and in, in the later years, he plays trumpet. He he travels with us. Julian Smith on bass. Um, we we have uh, Dan McIntyre, uh, Frank, you know. Frank Sinatra's touring guitar player, who was actually my manager's guitar teacher growing up. Wow. And that's how we made the introductions with those okay, guys. Okay, I was going to ask, how did you get, I mean, this is, I mean, you're naming, you're naming all these names and, 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 and where they came from, obviously, is, uh, very extensive and legendary there. I was going to ask how this all, how this all uh, came to be. Yeah, he, um, so when I called my manager and I said, you know what, I want to do something with this Frank Sinatra stuff i've been working on i want to do this record for charity so i want to start reaching out to some local musicians see if i can find some big band guys to team up with he's like no man we're gonna call the original guys my my teacher was dan mcintyre um so he scheduled a lunch with uh with dan and mike smith and uh 
they sat down there and listened to him. They're like, all right, can your, uh, can your guy sing? <laughs> you know? And my, uh, my manager had never heard me sing that style of music. He's like, of course he can. Of course. He, he just went for it. Yeah. The, the age yeah. old. Yeah. Like, was it yeah, like, like actors say that they could do all the things just so they get the part, right? So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. So they're like, all right, we're on board. Let's do, uh, let's do a couple songs to see if this is going to work out. So um, I had said, let's do Luck Be a Lady, and the song is you. And the band's like, let's, let's hold off the song is you. Let's do something a little more um, familiar. So we did That's Life and Luck Be a Lady. Um, so imagine, imagine stepping in the studio with Frank Sinatra's guys for the very first time. And the very first song you pick is pretty much led by the singer. I'm not letting the, the band doesn't start that song. It pretty much starts with, they call you lady luck. Wow. Right. So I had to be in there setting the rhythm of the song. So Mike Smith draws me into this room full of all these legendary musicians. He's like, all right, sing the song. <laughs> you know, so that was my first go at singing with these guys and i got it all on video i got it on my phone oh that's great uh, so we have uh, we recorded all that that stuff up there and uh i'd love to see that sometime i got I oh guess, yeah, yeah absolutely that that, that 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 moment i mean i am a i'm a i'm a pretty big sinatra fan a pretty big uh just uh big band and jazz fan i have a mm -hmm. i was talking to miles about it actually the other day we have a I have a pretty extensive uh, record collection I uh, I got from my uh, late grandfather, and most of it's jazz. There's a lot of Sinatra in there. Um, one of the songs that I that I found uh, a little different, a little bit more of a deep cut, I guess, uh, the wave that you that you guys chose to do. And uh, there's a great guitar solo in a jazzy guitar solo. Did you play that, or did you have one of the guys play that? No, I'm glad people wonder about that because it's it's killer guitar playing, but that wasn't yeah. me. Oh, that's, um, that's, that's that was interesting. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like he's kind of showing that he has like some of this jazz background too. So you you had well, you had one of the guys doing that, yeah. I stuck strictly to vocals on Strip, this record. The whole thing. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, that's Dan McIntyre on on Wave, and mm -hmm. uh, he does some great guitar work in my way as well. Yeah, um, which was an interesting take on my way as well. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Like the starting out with just the vocal and guitar for for mm -hmm. what, what was it like an entire verse before the rest of the band comes in? I thought was a was a pretty yeah. nice touch. Yeah. So we sat. Um, that was the very last the very last song we we recorded. So it was kind of a bittersweet moment. I uh, I can hear it in the recording that this I was this is a life such a huge once in a lifetime kind of thing. And um, this is the last song we were recording. So I was sad and you could kind of hear it in the, uh, in the song. It was kind of a, uh, I wanted to keep going with it. So anyways, mm. with that song, I sat there with Dan McIntyre and um, I said, let's, you know, let's do this nylon string guitar thing. Um, let's not bring in the rhythm section until the third verse. Let's just keep adding layers as we go. So I sat there with him and he kept on comping, comping the song on guitar. I think he did it three or four different ways. And I was like, wow, that way's really cool. You know, so it's so cool to see this, this jazz guitar player be able to play it so differently, so perfectly right out of the gate. Mm. And uh, so that was the first and only song we did on the record that was improvised. You know, we just sat there. There were no charts. It was just, let's play the song. Let's have it happen in the moment. And uh, almost like a rock band would do. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, and I want to get back to the wave there uh, because it ties into the, I think what you're talking about at the beginning, my question of where you found that you could sing 
this style of music and do it very well i will say like it sound i was like all right i'm gonna listen to this so let's see let's see what he's got you know kind of thing and right, yeah. nailed it i mean it sounds it sounds Thank phenomenal you. um in that style one of my one of the things that had me smiling and kind of i wanted to ask you about is that real low note in the wave that that, that you yeah, got down. uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was that was uh that was interesting interpretation going down there and doing that uh what what brought that on that's, um, you know, I went deep down the rabbit hole on Frank Sinatra's catalog and mm -hmm. I tried to find every interview and everybody talking about whatever, what he's done. And to this day, even, even years and years after I became obsessed with, with uh, listening and learning everything I can about Frank Sinatra, you still find new songs constantly. Because um, he recorded 1,500 songs about and yeah. um, he was on all these live TV shows where he sang, so, you know, sang all night long. So you'll never get to the end of what he's he's done. So I remember reading this interview where somebody was talking about Frank Sinatra's vocal range and how he really loved to dig into his low his low registers. And um, they gave examples of a cottage for sale, which still a cottage for sale. It's not that low, right? Um, and what wave? When I heard that, I was like, this. And I heard um, Seriously Sinatra, Sirius XM, Seriously Sinatra play that song a bunch. Mm. And uh, every time, every time I heard that song, I'm like, I can picture Sean Connery with a martini on the beach, you know, <laughs> 007 style. Hell that yeah. song is about the hippest, coolest song, you know, I, I've heard. So I wanted to do that song. We got it into the studio and, uh, you know, we're messing around with maybe taking it up a half step or doing this and that. I was, we're all like, no, we got to do it the way Frank did it. The, the, the way that the, the instruments play in that key sounds way better than a half step up. Mm -hmm. So we did it. And um, I figured I'd record the record, put that song on it, but never do that song live. Cause that's that note so hard to hit. But the very first show we, we did I played that song and it, it worked great. I just got to eat the mic to go because <laughs> you yeah. you can't sing that that uh, that note too loud. So you just got to eat the mic on it. Wow, that's a great. Was there a specific mic you were using to um, in the studio when you're when you're doing this? Yeah, you know, I um, that's another quest I went on. I was so Frank Sinatra used U forty sevens for the most part in his Capitol Records years and all the mm -hmm. the most well known songs. And um, so I tried to buy U forty seven, and I was on with you know vintage king and everybody trying to find the best u47s and i'd get all these warnings about you could buy a u47 and it could be terrible these, these old capsules and whatnot could be shot you could spend 20 grand on a microphone and it could be you got to hear it in person and mm -hmm. there i was just running out of time so i um i found this company called wonder audio w w u n and um they had a u47 that was rated really really highly by everybody who, who had heard it so i i bought that um paul reed smith i had played him um luck be a lady and he got all excited about it he's like you know the best sounding capsule in the world right now the best closest u47 capsule is by heiserman uh, audio so i bought a heiserman as well a heiserman u47 so then i got to chicago i got my wonder audio my heiserman and then we rented a vintage u47 from the local um uh, chicago music i don't know if it's a music exchange or, or what but uh okay 
we shot them all out and everybody in the room was like, I like the, uh, the wonder and the Heiserman better than the, the original. So, uh, really, but when you listen to the record, um, one of the songs that really sticks out as, as the Heiserman kind of tone is if you listen to, um, you make me feel so young, mm-hmm. the Christmas and the clarity of that, that's the Heiserman. The wonder audio is the bulk of the, of the record. Um, oh, okay. And, it's a, and I actually used that wonder audio U 47 on, on the Ponds and Kings record for all my vocals. For all your vocals on the, on the Alter bridge new record too. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I didn't think, I didn't think that would work at all because, um, I don't think that type of mic is meant for a pushed aggressive vocal, but it worked right. great. That's incredible. Wow. Um, before we get into that new record, cause obviously I want to go there too. I want to, yeah. there's a couple more things I want to get, uh, get through on this, uh, uh, Mark Tremonte does, uh, Sinatra project you have. You said that you played some shows you get, you, I, I, I think I misunderstood you at the beginning. Um, are you playing, uh, in Orlando, you're playing with the Sinatra band? Is that is, yeah right? Okay, cool. So, and how many shows have you guys done live, and how often are you planning on doing that? Is that is it kind of like whenever you guys feel like it, and you send out an email like, "Hey, are you guys free? You want to come down and do this?" Or, uh-huh. or how are you guys uh, figuring out the shows? Um, so the shows are are tough to put together because it's a seventeen piece band, and the mm-hmm. um, you know when it's a rock band, you throw four guys on stage and some amps and a drum set, and you're you're fine. But with this, it's you know, you don't want to talk the business side of music because it kind of sours it. But it's expensive to put on one of these shows, so we got to well, we, make. We sure can talk that. about it here. We go into all <laughs> the weeds that you that you're comfortable with going. That's where we'll go. Yeah, yeah. So we did the first show um, at my uh, in Orlando at um, at this little theater in town that we had people come from all over the world to see it, and um, it uh, it was great. I mean, it was it was such a it's such a rush playing in front of these, this band and this, this quality of musicians. And it reminded me of being back in the studio. And, um, so I wanted to, there was no rehearsals for this stuff. You don't get to rehearse. You just throw this, the music on a stand and you go for it. So mm-hmm. I had never sang this album in its entirety live before. And I didn't know which songs were going to go well live or not. So my, my friend, John Earhart, um, has this great big backyard and he's, and he's worked in production his whole life and set up this awesome PA and set up this stage in his backyard so we could bring in the band a day early and just do a rehearsal run through. And just by doing that rehearsal run through, I'm like, all right, we're going to do Wave Live. We're going to do every, every one of these songs live. So oh, we did that cool. night. We just invited friends over for like a, a charitable dinner where we sold some stuff to raise money. And, um, and then we did the show the next night. Um, which was the official first show and everybody got dressed up in suits. And, you know, you see, you see all these fans that you see at your meet and greets around the world wearing black, you know, shirts with skulls on them. Now they're wearing ties and, you know, which was great. Um, Everybody enjoyed getting dressed up except for one of, you know, one of my buds who, uh, who's a fan came up. He's like, you'll never see me dressed like this again. (laughs) (laughs) But he Um, still did it for the, for the cause. So, uh, Oh yeah. Good on you, bro. (laughs) Absolutely. So, uh, so my next show is next week actually. And, um, I'm lucky enough that locally we have the Dr. Phillips performing arts center and they had this world renowned audiologist or whatever it is that dials in these theaters and it's got ranked the number one best sounding room in the world oh shit so they just opened it up this uh, i think six months ago and um one of the gentlemen who 
donated a bunch of money to get it to get part of this theater built is retiring and asked if we would play his retirement party so we're playing this show with some crazy heavy hitters like the like the mayor you know and all these people are coming out to this show and it's cool about the sinatra thing is you know people ask when i go to these charity events and you have like a country band plan or you have yeah a big band playing or something. They're like, why don't you get your bands to play these, these events? I'm like, well, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. No, <laughs> it doesn't fit at all. So, um, for the first time I got a band that, that can do all these events. So, um, that's cool. You man. Know. I didn't think about it that way. That, that makes perfect sense. Cause you're right. Like when those, well, I don't know if you guys have ever done it in Creed or Alter Bridge or even your, uh, Tremonti stuff. Um, have you ever done any of the conventions or anything like that? That's like one of those more sterile environments with, uh, with yeah. any of those bands back in the Creed days, we did, uh, ah, we did some weird stuff. We did, uh, I remember one show in particular, it was when blockbuster video was huge. Hell um, yes. Blockbuster video throwback. I love it. That's how old, that's how old I am. So <laughs> blockbuster. No, no, that's, uh, that's how classic you are. That's how classic you are, Mark. <laughs> oh man, no! It's uh, I loved Blockbuster when it was when it was Hell, thriving. Man, I was just but, I was just next to the one that's it's now a massage envy by me. Yeah, and I was like, and I was just like I was picking up some food next there, and I was like, I looked over, I was like, man, I used to I used to go in there every, a couple times a week and pick oh, up. Yeah, it, was, it was fun to walk around and and find your video. Have you? We'll get back. <laughs> I'm totally digressing right now. But have, <laughs> if, uh, have you seen the last blockbuster um, uh, documentary, documentary on Netflix? No, I want to. I want to watch it because that was a huge part of. Uh, like I said, like when me and my wife first got together, every single night we'd go to Blockbuster and get a movie. Right. I mean, that's what you did. Yeah. It was. And it was yeah. fun walking around, and you might split up for a second and go into the different genres, come back w with a couple of different, you know, options, and okay. you got to figure it out, you know. <laughs> Get to know the manager, let them know when that new release that's that's always sold out is back in stock. Right. All right, tell me when Top Guns comes back in. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're yeah. aging yourself. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But anyways, yeah. So, uh, so uh, I think we went off on a tangent about Blockbuster there. But yeah, this, no. this was back when you were so in that era. Creed is going to yeah. do one of these uh, more sterile, like a corporate, a corporate, a like, corporate, like event, corporate right? kind of gigs. You yeah. know, so Blockbuster was putting on this event, and um, they had all their Blockbuster people from around the country come, and they had all the money in the world to hire all the current bands. So it was. Um, look at this lineup. You had Leonard Skinner headlining, which was killer. Um, you had, uh, Backstreet Boys. Wow. Um, and you had Creed. I don't Creed. see a lot of crossover from those two, at least. I mean, I can see the no. Creed Skinnerd. I can't, I can't see too much of, uh, Backstreet Boys Skinnerd. I can even yeah, see, so, yeah, yeah, the Backstreet Boys Skinnerd fan base, I don't think overlaps too much. I don't know. And it was a weird thing. You know, imagine you're stepping off or I can't remember if we were before or after Backstreet Boys, but, uh, imagine you got your your guitars on and whatnot. And then you walk past these guys in their track suits, you know, doing, <laughs> doing their thing. And everybody was friendly and nice enough. And we had a, we had a great time. And, uh, but yeah, those, we also did something that was really cool back in the day. They called the, um, the blind date. I don't know if you're familiar with those. I think mm -hmm. it was like the Miller genuine draft blind date. And they would, um, they would take a, oh, a big band. Did they, they, they used to run commercials on TV for those, right? Yeah, I mean those okay. were huge. They they would take a band that played arenas 
and they would they would pretty much pay them what they would normally make on a normal gig but they would throw you in a house of blues or something or a small venue. So I do remember these. I do remember seeing that. I've, I've never mm -hmm. been to anyone or anything like that, but I do remember seeing uh, the advertisements mm -hmm. for those. They're super cool. Cause imagine you're, you're, you go into this venue and there's a big drape in front of the, in front of the stage. And then all of a sudden stone temple pilot starts playing like, Oh wow. You know, you don't know. It could have been you too. It could have been the rolling stones. It could have been right. whoever, but we did one of those. That was a lot of fun. See, that sounds more fun. I mean, back to like the, the more corporate thing is like, like we were talking about, you don't have, you go in with a, with a creed or, or an altar bridge and it's, people are, are, are relaxing. They're sitting down and you're like, we've in Avenge we did one and I don't think we'll ever do yeah. one again, but it was a friend. We were in the, yeah. is in the gaming world. We did nightmare in front of all these people literally in, uh, in like, what do you call those? The, the recliners they literally have like these nice recliners and they're just watching us and we're like it was our first and only time we ever done anything like mm -hmm. that and you don't have that energy that you get from oh yeah being, being on a rock stage so can you can you uh empathize with that at all with, with, that, with oh it's that stuff's the worst you know yeah. it's um you know sometimes you just it's part of the business you have to do those kind of things every now and then you know it's uh right. um like doing um, TV performances or whatever else that might be uncomfortable and not quite your thing, but you got to do them to, to promote the band. Um, those are my least favorite things to do, but they're sometimes the most beneficial. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one -on -one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. Have you guys, um, did you guys ever do uh, Saturday Night Live? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I've that never, awesome. never done that. Um, can you, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting to ask you about that, but like, what, what, what's that? I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I recorded every Saturday. These days I don't stay up late enough. Five-year-old kid uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, uh, I have to record it and watch it with my wife later on, but I've always loved the performances over the years. I think that that's one of those mm -hmm. things where like we're talking about, maybe not our, your favorite vibe, um, a performance, but definitely an iconic, cool thing to do. What was that like yeah. for you guys? That was, that was really cool. We, um, when we got there, um, Billy Bob Thornton was the host. Oh shit. So he kind of came in and came and introduced himself. And, uh, what movie was he promoting? There's usually the host. Is I think this, this, this was after sling blade. Okay. Um, but, uh, so they said, you guys are going to do, um, a song and then if we have time you can do another song and i remember, i forget what, what single we were on that we had played but 
it wasn't half as fun as I think we were going to play Bullets at the end of the song, which was one of our heaviest songs. And um, I just remember watching through the show and going, please let us have enough time because that's such a fun song to play. And on TV, it's, you know, um, it would be a lot of fun. And, and finally I said, all right, you guys are back on. Get up there. So we got to do two songs. So you did Bullets uh, and what else did you do? Well, um, I'm trying to figure out what era this was. I can't remember what the first song would have been. Um, to be honest with you, I'd have to look it back up. Well, we don't have to look it up. That's what people on YouTube can just let us know right down below. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then I remember one of the coolest parts was at the end of the show, they bring everybody on stage and they're playing the goodbye music and all the actors and comedians come up there. The classic and, hug. Uh, the classic hug. I remember. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Fallon was one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. You know, got to, right got on, to spend yeah. some time just talking with him for a minute. And then... uh Will Ferrell was on the show because he was so. This still is one all like cast. early two thousands cast. Is that late late nineties yeah. cast? Is that what we're looking at? So imagine that man, J Jimmy Fallon and Will Ferrell both on there. Um, Rad. I pretty much told Will Ferrell, "You're the funniest man alive," and he was he. Hey, thank thanks. You know, <laughs> <It> was, yeah. <laughs> Yo, wait, I was expecting a funny comment back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, beat it, kid. <laughs> That's incredible, man. I, I, I love hearing that. Um, uh, real quick, uh, not to go too much on this uh, Sinatra stuff, but I do want to ask. Uh, uh, I'll talk about Sinatra all, all week long. If let's you want. do that's, it. That's, Perfect. Because yeah. that's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan as well. But you mm -hmm. did mention that uh, with the charity and your daughter uh, being diagnosed with Down syndrome. And I know you got, a, you got therapy that you're going to with her. How old is she now? She's 18 months. 18 months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And is, is she your only child or? She's my third. I've got, third. I've got uh, a 17 year old, a 13 year old, two boys. And now my, my first daughter. Okay. And okay. we actually fly to New York tomorrow for the buddy walk up in uh, New York, which is uh, the big net, the down syndrome society's uh, big fundraiser up in Manhattan. Oh, wow. I, okay. That's, that's a great thing. I didn't, I didn't, but raising awareness to at least one guy right now because I didn't yeah. know about any of that stuff. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's also a gala in um, in March that in up in New York that we're actually going to perform at with the Sinatra guys. So the that's Sinatra another guys. thing. Okay, I, cool, cool. I couldn't get to, I couldn't get to bring go. Alter Bridge. Nah, I mean maybe maybe a couple of songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly not a not too many off of the new record though. Ponds and Kings yeah. definitely is a is a heavier record. Um, <laughs> As I said, we were talking to Miles about it. I, I wanted to ask you uh, more about it, too. When I listened to this record, what I, what, uh, the great songs, great songwriting, vocals are awesome, every, uh, you know, uh, what, a lot of what you expect from you guys. Uh, but in this era right now where a lot of the bands in the, in the rock world seem to be kind of put through the conveyor belt of sound these days <laughs> in a lot of respects, I, it was a breath of fresh air to kind of hear some more natural tones, specifically from like the drums and stuff. And I was wondering if you uh, had any insight to, you know, working with your guys' producer on that, if that was really a conscious effort between the band or was that just his style? Uh, we specifically said on this record that we wanted a record that was way more stripped down. We wanted it to sound like a rock band in the studio, not, not a modern programmed, you know, where there's a violin pad under everything and there's a right. piano key boosting everything because um, all that stuff works for certain songs but in the end there's only so many frequencies and so much space on a record and when you can strip all that away the guitars can breathe so much more and the drums can um, 
breathe that much more. And, and we specifically say on the drums, please don't sample every, you know, don't sample the drums. Let them be what they, they, they well, need to be. Well, you guys recorded, right? You mean go into the mixer instead oh, yeah. of saying, hey, oh, yeah. let's throw a sample on the snare, on the kick. Uh, oh, you might as well throw some samples on the toms too. Like, let's yeah. just completely negate what we did for three weeks in, in a studio <laughs> just getting yeah. the drum tones. Yeah. No, every, <laughs> every snare hit should sound unique. You know, every kick drum should sound unique. If you say you say you record one great take that has, you know, a lot of key moments, but there's a weird rim shot in there okay replace that with another snare head but other than that keep it keep it legit not not all you know any kid can get on garage band and create some right. excellent sounding thing that just sounds like a computer we don't want that we want it to sound like like the band so we stripped everything back production wise and um you know i think the last record we did we you know um were inspired by kind of the synth wave thing where you hear um the old school synths and the cool vibe from the eighties thing. And, and um, we just did that once and now we're back doing our original things, trip everything away is just make it the band. Well, it sounds great. There's great songs. Uh, uh, I love sin after sin was one that popped Thank out to me on the record. Uh, uh, Kevin sent me the uh, stuff uh, about a month ago. So I was, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure before these uh, people at home of hearing the whole mm-hmm. thing, not just the four songs you guys have released to, uh, at this point. And then the, uh, I always forget the name of the last song. The last song, uh, Ponds and Kings. Ponds and Kings, the the mm-hmm. title track, right? Why do yeah. I keep forgetting that one? Uh, any at any rate, another great song, and uh, I was surprised that the last song on the record would be one that's released before the actual release date for the for the mm-hmm. album. Um, and I know that Miles said that he brought that one in. It wasn't even sure it was going to make the record, and then mm-hmm. you guys alter bridgeified it, and uh, it yeah. came to life. Um, it's a longer song. Last song, you know, that's usually considered a spot for your deep tracks, your your progressive song, and it's one of the one of the singles before the release. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think I think that song just kind of is a good snapshot of what this record's all about. Um, and it's, I I hate being I don't want to be the band that ever considers before writing an album about singles. We need a single. We need a single. That's mm-hmm. uh, I think I gave up on that about 10 years ago because we would, you know, you have in the back of your mind, we need a song that's under four minutes long that, that hits the chorus quick. And it, you know, it's the radio format thing, but then it doesn't do anything. It, it, if you go down that these road, days, it, it doesn't do anything anyway. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> you know, back when we thought that way, you would do it and you'd, you'd, you'd edit your song down for radio. And then all of a sudden you got a number 16 single at active rock. And it's like, I, I just, and it's not worth it. I just right. want to completely do what it is that we do and not have to think about any kind of conformity. And, and um, that song, like I said, it, 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 it's kind of the vibe of the record. I think this, a lot of people have said, oh, this is, your, this is one of your heavier records or your heaviest record. I think it's more of a dense record. There's a lot going on. There's, um, um, there's a lot of information on this record. I remember when I gave the record to my brother and I, and it had 10 tracks. He's like, dude, you can't put out 10 track records. Your fans wait three years between albums. You need more songs. And then when he heard it, he's like, all right, 10 tracks is fine. These, these songs are, <laughs> there's a lot of information here. 10 so, tracks um, after three years, you guys, 
Your fans are nice. It's uh, six years and, uh, you know, however many tracks we decide to release next year. Yes. <laughs> hey, man. Well, one of these days we got to do a Avenged Alter Bridge tour. Hit, I would Europe. love that, man. I would absolutely love that after getting yeah. to know you guys a little bit now. Um, I don't know how we haven't crossed paths more um, on yeah. some of those festivals or if we have. You know how it could be. I mean, we're on at different times and blah, 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 different yeah. stages or whatever. So we haven't actually uh, properly met before today. So, um but yeah, I would absolutely love that. Um, in some facet, I think that'd be, that'd be very cool. Absolutely, man. Um, speaking on, uh, on touring and stuff, you guys have, have announced for Alter bridge with the release on October 14th, everybody. Um, you guys got some, uh, some tours coming up, uh, some pretty big ones in starting in January. I think I saw, right. We start in November, November in, uh, 1st and then, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so we go to um, last week in October, we fly to Europe for rehearsals, and then uh, we go from November 1st through November 12th, and then I stay in London. We're playing the O2 in London with Alterbridge, and then we're, I'm going to stay there for two days off and then do a Sinatra show at, at, at the O2 at the Indigo Theater. Oh, shit, that's uh, awesome. That's so, got to be so cool to have those two projects running. Uh you know, and be able to do those two different things at the same time while you're out there. Just as as a yeah. as a as a fellow musician and someone like I'm just like that would be really cool. Just be able to stay in one place and do two completely different things. That's that's really. Oh cool. yeah. So as I'm warming up for Alter Bridge, I'll be fly me. You know, singing singing Sinatra. <laughs> you gonna Coming throw that stage. in? You guys gonna throw that in in the Alter Bridge stuff a little bit? You know. You know what they um on the last Germani tour um. I was such a fool to, I went through the, almost the entire tour without mentioning it to the crowd. And finally, I'm like, this is the, the perfect audience to tell about the project. So I would say, you know, to get serious for a minute, I did this record, raising money for charity, check it out, please. And this and that, and when I'd step off stage, our front of the house engineer would play one of the songs from the record and then people would, would hear it and, and go Love support that. it. Um, but as far as performing it, I don't want to water it down. I want it to be legit. Um, if anything, I would, you know Tanner, my my bass player in Tremonti, he he does gigs constantly. He does some Sinatra stuff every now and then. He does more like uh, um, different versions of it. But I'd sit down with an acoustic guitar and do that, but not rocked out. It's right. not that's not what that's not. Oh, what definitely. It is. Yeah, and I wasn't even suggesting that. I was just like, mm -hmm. give given the, the the fan base. I mean, even as you said it. Uh, uh, when you guys were walking off stage, that that parting gift there is is a good way of doing it too. But I was just like, in between yeah. songs, just you know, hit a couple of those notes for them. Let let them know what's up. Oh yeah, wear the <laughs> wear the Sinatra shirt. Yeah, I, man, I I can't tell you how much fun I have doing that stuff. So it's got to uh, be so, it's got to be so liberating to do that, man. I'm 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 envious of that. That that's such a cool project. I, I really I'm really really excited for you on that one. You know what's fun on it too is you can, um, like I went I went on vacation with my wife and uh, we were down and uh, down at this this beach bar and this guy was playing guitar and and one of my friends goes up there and tells him to call me up there and we did, you know we did my way and uh, New York New York you know at this wow. little beach little beach bar so it's it's cool because you can i love karaoke and some sinatra too that's uh hell yeah i mean well like you said you, you'd been studying him for years before you even really mm -hmm. put this project together like how long how long is years like if, if you like how many years are we talking here and when did you realize 
man, I could actually pull this off. Or was it kind of like, oh, I think I could pull this off, so that's why I'm going to try? Or was it like, I'm just going to see, you know, you know what I mean? It was a chicken or the egg, yeah. basically, on, on that. So, so I guess years and years ago, I at Christmas parties, you know, the karaoke mic would come out. I'm talking, I don't know, 10 years ago, I'd sing and be like, you know, this feels good on my voice. It feels like my a natural voice. And I'd sing Bing Crosby or Dean Martin or Sinatra or whatever it was. And awesome. it just felt like, yeah, this is nice. And then years later, I came across, uh, I, I went on YouTube and I just couldn't fall asleep. And I came across the song is you. It's a, I think it was recorded in 43 or 44. It was a young Frank Sinatra, almost shy playing in this auditorium and uh, absolutely killed it. You know, he's like the, the shy kid next door getting on stage. And as soon as he sings, it's just, you're like, that's why he became so famous. It was just, his voice was incredible. And I, I was like, you know what? I want to sing like that. I want to practice this just like as a guitar player, you hear something like, I remember watching the um, crossroads movie and seeing oh, yeah. Ralph Macchio and Steve Vai going at it. I'm like, I want to learn that. So I'd sit down and playing all that stuff. And it's just like hearing Sinatra sing. I'm like, all right, I got to sit down. There's way more to it than just memorizing the melody and singing back the lyrics. You, and right. it's, it's a matter of like really picking apart every breath he takes and every vibrato he makes and every pronunciation and every little tiny bit of it. And um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to dive in like I dived in on the guitar. And uh, about two years into that uh, is when I was like, you know what? I feel good about this. I've, I've um, you know, you work on it, you get better every day at it. And uh, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then that's when the diagnosis came in and I was like, all right, that's, that's the reason I was obsessed. You know, there's sometimes there's reasons for, for everything. And uh, right. it's, the stars just aligned way too much for, uh, it was just, uh, it was all kind of a, I don't want to be that guy, but it just seemed like a meant to be kind of scenario. No, you can be that guy. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different beliefs on that, obviously, but mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't think it's necessarily a religious thing for me, but it, I do believe that that, things just kind of fall in place the way that they were supposed to for a lot mm -hmm. of different reasons, or it may just be because that's the way, that's just the way the universe just keeps going around. You know what I mean? And like yeah, it, the trickle down is where it happens here and it's always going to happen there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, something as simple as that. And I know other people have their own beliefs in that as well, but yes, I mean, a lot of times I yeah. think if we really look at it, even the fact that, uh, you know, the two of us are in successful projects and successful bands and be able to do the things that we, that we do. We're incredibly mm -hmm. fortunate and lucky, you know, like we worked hard. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> what is it? Luck is the residue of the ready or whatever it may be, you know, and you work on that, but there's an, an incredible amount of luck involved in that as well. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right place, right time, right worth work ethic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we just started today, I don't know if we would have the same success. It's a different world. So, right. So I, I'm sorry, but I, I wanted to point out to people listening and watching at home there too, that it is a very fortunate thing and things do happen for a reason and try not to get yourself down about everything. Um, but uh, uh, I think we were talking more about how that was serendipitous or, or, or for the moment when you heard that your uh, daughter was diagnosed with uh, Down syndrome, right? Yeah. And then, you know, um, when I mentioned, all right, I want to do this project, 
because of this, my manager goes, yeah, my guitar teacher played Frank Sinatra. That's one of those like, uh, that's another, that's just another sign. I got to do this. Right. Right. Um, and then, you know, this was definitely a mountain to climb to get this record done was a lot of work. It was, um, so my manager's next duty was, all right, get the band guys together. Now, Mike Smith was like, all right, you got us. We're going to record with you, but you got to get permission from the family to do this. And that's, that's next to impossible. Mm -hmm. So my manager calls up, you know, the gentleman who runs the Sinatra estate and, uh, immediately like, no, you can't do it. You can't. Nope. Well, we get a hundred calls a week of people wanting to do Frank Sinatra projects. Nope. We, they keep it all very, they protect it understandably. Um, right. You know, one of the most famous entertainers of all time. You got to keep that legacy airtight. So. I was surprised. I do know a little bit about that in the sense that we were doing, we were mixing Hail to the King, I believe it was, or I'm sorry, we we're doing the strings for Hail to the King at, in Capitol, mm -hmm. in the Capitol uh, B building. Across the hall was, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. It was an older gentleman that was working on a Sinatra, one of the last things Sinatra ever sang. Uh, Hank? in capital I, it might have been it might have been um i think it's hank hank Sinicola. yes that sounds familiar yeah. yeah right so he was over in the in the in the city next to us and we were just kind of walking by kind of hey what's going on over here like why does that sound like sinatra and what what's going on over there and uh he invited us in to listen to the project he was listening or he was working on and uh i'm not sure if it ever got released but i he told us this is literally the last thing that sinatra ever sang and uh, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is, you know, clean it up, polish it up and get it to release. But then we got to take it to the family and see if we even get that approval as well. So I have no idea if it was released, but even someone who has the masters and is in the Capitol building was was mm -hmm. uh, finding a little bit of difficulty on that. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're you're in such a historic room that if you went down in the basement there, they have the uh, um, the telly mic that Frank Sinatra sang on. Right. So um, Charles Pignon, who who runs runs their business side of things, said if you um, if you want to record out at Capitol Records, I can I can probably make that happen. I can get you to sing on Frank's mic, put you on his stool, give you a bottle of Jack Daniels, and set you all up for that session. And uh, it was during COVID, so we couldn't get out there. But um, next next time next I'm, LP next LP that you yes got. there you go. Next time I'm in I'm in LA, I'm definitely going to go see that microphone. Well, when you do, hit me up because I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tag along. I think oh, yeah. I don't I don't remember if we made it down to the basement or not. Now now that I think about it, we've we've done a we've done strings and arrangements there for several of our records uh, in that uh -huh. in that Capital B buildings. And I don't know so. if it's a basement or a storage room or what, but it's definitely a definitely got some some history for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you said, there's that building in general. Like it's got oh yeah so much history. Um, I digress a little bit though. I just keep keep going into that there. But uh, yeah. uh, it's it's uh, I think you heard it's it's actually my tenth uh, anniversary, and I think those were the flowers that were being delivered. If you oh wow, that, that congrats! Thing. Thank you, thank you. Um, uh, and I heard you. Are those your dogs in the background? Yes, they're. They bark at the landscapers. They don't like the landscapers. <laughs> I don't blame them. Like, uh, you know, every, every time I'm trying to do this podcast and landscapers are around, I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put the gates on that afterward, you know, have to oh, yeah. <laughs> clean that up and post. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, um, I wanted to, uh, ask you a little bit about, uh, Creed cause, 
I had uh, Shane Told, who has the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, um, on the show earlier this year, and he mm-hmm. had Scott on, and I guess they he had asked the question, and it was kind of entertaining the ideas of of you guys kind of coming back together to do some shows or something like that. Is there any truth to that, or have, am I really late on that news as well? <laughs> Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Uh, it's it's always something that's floated around. You know, it's um, for us. It just it's just a matter of being the right opportunity and the right time because mm-hmm. it's right now. If you said, "Hey, let's do a Creed tour," when I've got an Ultra Bridge tour starting in November all the way through next year, right? Uh, so it just has to be a window that makes sense for everybody because we all work way too hard on these records to, to, to put a four-month gap in the middle of the promotion of it, you know? Right. And, um, you know, on a Creed tour, it could be a 30-date short run or whatnot. And, um, but still, you know, people don't understand. People are like, hey, why don't you have Creed do this one-off um, at this thing? It's like you can't, you can't have a band not play for 13 years and then do a show without a week's rehearsal and then a whole team putting together the production and all the team. There's a lot that goes into it. So, well, that's why you get all the comments on social media. Come to my country, come to my, do all this. (laughs) Like, sure. Let's just drop everything. And we'll just, you know, throw my, throw my base on my back and just fly out there. And that's how it, that's how it gets done. (laughs) Yeah. You know, in this day and age, you know, that's, that's the one thing where I've always been against the digital modeling amplifiers and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're doing fly dates and you're going to, you know, Jakarta or something, you know, that's the only time I'll use like a Kemper or, um, an Axe effects or something. And that's, that's made touring easier. Cause you could bring a, um, you know, your little USB port with all your settings on it, rent the local Kempers, plug it in and, 
you know, some I, I just wouldn't I, play somebody else's guitars. Yeah, you still got to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. That's true. And you and you know, it's not like you're. I imagine. Uh, I haven't seen your rig, but I imagine it's a vault with several guitars in it. It's not just like, oh, I got this one guitar yes. and I use it for everything. On the, no, for two our, set. <laughs> one of my biggest one of my biggest problems as a songwriter is I use alternate tunings a lot just to mm -hmm. keep things interesting and um for each alternate tuning you got to have a backup guitar so absolutely um you know one guitar could back up three guitars if you're lucky if it's pretty similar but um i usually take about eight guitars on tour for myself and miles takes okay. about about the same okay so that, that's reasonable that seems reasonable i'm thinking in my head i'm like how many bases do i have i have at least eight i don't i actually don't know yeah maybe it's more than that but i got five string setups too so there's, yeah. yeah so it's about it's a, it's about eight that, that's not it's reasonable it's reasonable people yeah you gotta you gotta get from one song to the other you don't want to sit up there and put a mute tune before everybody that's not no, you know that, it's cool if you're like a jam band or a blues band just kind of chilling but when you're doing the you know the big straight I'm too, up I'm, I'm also like too lazy for that i would just be like eh, it's close enough let's go yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the moments you got your adrenaline going and you definitely wouldn't tune it. No, correctly. it wouldn't sound perfect. But anyways, yeah. uh, I, I do like the uh, uh, the Axe effects and stuff like that for that reason. I mean, I haven't, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't had a, a cabinet on stage in years um, mm -hmm. just because it's, even with uh, the heads that I was using, the Galen Kruger or the Dark Glass, mm -hmm. it, I didn't need it on the stage. Like we're, we have in-ears. So I'm listening to everything yeah. on the in-ears and then, just trusting, not even trusting, but talking to this, the front of house and going, hey, what what's going to make it easiest and best sounding for you out here? Because I've got ears yeah. and it doesn't matter. Like, whatever is going to make it sound great out there. Do you still use cabs on, on stage when you can and stuff? Or I, I use a cab, but now I um, I was the oldest school guy in the band for sure. I was the last one to in-ears, the last one to, to do try anything different from just super loud. I, my rig used to be massive on stage. But now I use one head, one cabinet. The cabinet is, um, I have another ISO box with a 112 in it that, that carries the load. So I can turn the amp down as low as I want from the house gets the direct sy signal. And because um, I don't want to be the only guy on stage that you hear. I don't want to hear just drums and a loud guitar. Because a lot of times you're playing um, a theater where first couple hundred people just hear your guitar and nothing else you right. know so i so i've got an onion ears have the one little iso box to, to carry the load so the front of the house can have that nice even mix of everything um but if i want to take my in-ear out i have the cabinet up there in case i need it okay okay so that, that makes sense you know everyone's got a everyone has their own way of getting it getting it done on stage that's why i, I was yeah. curious on that and then uh getting back to i think we were talking about uh potential creed stuff and why you know you're, you're simply explaining what uh i already know but a lot of people might might not understand is that you need time for this stuff it's not like you're just gonna yeah. throw the band together after you know x amount of years however long it's been since you guys have played together and just go do these one-offs right yeah yeah like yesterday i started putting together a set list for alter bridge um to present to the guys like hey i think these are the songs we have to play and this is a second tier of songs we can keep changing every night Mm -hmm. but relearning some of these songs um it's like starting over you know when i go play with tremani i know those songs backwards and forwards right now now i have to forget those and go into the ultra bridge mode and relearn all that stuff i you know when i do uh 
guitar clinics on tour and people are like, hey, play this, teach me this solo. I'm like, I got to relearn that solo. I don't play it live right now. So I can't, I have, at this point, I've recorded 17 albums and I can't, I can't remember all that stuff. Shit. You know, there's, there's no way. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of records. Yeah. And yeah, especially when you're talking guitar solos, specific guitar solos, maybe I might be able to remember a chord change or something like that, but you're going to yeah. ask me to remember all the licks in the guitar. So like that's, that shit's not going to happen. No. On the fly. <laughs> no, I only know it. If I'm playing it that night, I know it. If, yeah. Otherwise I gotta, I gotta relearn it. Yeah. I, I'm the, yeah. Same way. Like when we're, when we're putting a set list together, like I like to do a little of the rehearsing myself uh, at the studio, relearning the songs and then we'll get together for like a week or so before that. Mm-hmm. This time around, it's probably going to be longer than that because we haven't played a show in six years now. So <laughs> it's wow. going to be a little while. But Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I th- someone can correct me, I'm sure. But I think it's been something like six years. I think we got off the road in 2018. Oh, so it'd be four years, five years coming in mm-hmm. 2023. Gotcha. It's been That's too long, long, man. It's too long. <laughs> You're telling me. But the, the, good, the good part is, though, I have a five-year-old son. Over that time, I've been able to just be home with him. So the silver lining okay. of, of you know, the horror, horrible things that happened, you know, with the with the pandemic and stuff, and not mm-hmm. downplaying that for those that were extremely affected. Luckily, I wasn't firsthand affected by anything necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kind of took it as a silver lining of like, all right, we, we all have young families. Let's, yeah. let, let, let's let's get to know our children a little bit better before we hit the road again. You know. Same with me, man. I had my, my one-year-old daughter that I got to spend pretty much her whole life with. I remember when, when I went on the first tour, uh, the first couple of weeks were around home, so I got to hover around Orlando. And then when we left for three weeks, I hadn't seen her in three weeks, and I came home, and she stranger-dangered me. I went to hold her, oh. and she's like, who is this guy? That was horrible. Oh, that doesn't you – know? yeah, yeah. that, that, you know that doesn't feel good. That, that's rough. Yeah. But the next day, she was great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of therapy do, um, do you have with her? I, I, I'm not familiar with, the, yeah. with what that would be. So she goes to therapy every day of the week. She has um, speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, physical therapy. She does talk tools, um, you know, because we really want to focus on her communication because a lot of children with Down syndrome have a um, tough time um, pronunciating things so she has all these different this person flies in from atlanta um i think once a month to kind of reassess how she's doing and then we go to this other therapist that does the day-to-day stuff and uh you know she's i think children with with down syndrome are like six months behind kids without down syndrome when it comes to crawling and and walking and and everything else she's uh like i said she's 18 months she's crawling and she's I mean, she's the cutest thing in the world. She, she'll she communicate with you, but, um, you know, she's just, we try to stay ahead of it as much as we can. And we're, right now, you know, like I said, we've raised all this money for the National Down Syndrome Society, and we're trying to figure out um, where some of that money is going to go. And we're, um, there's a lot of exciting, you know, I spoke with uh, Dr. Raj at Advent Health here in Orlando, and um, I told him our story. Like, my daughter had to have open heart surgery. Um, she had to get, um, a few other procedures done. Um, but she's tough kid. She gets right through it. But anyways, um, I'd spoken to Dr. Raj about a family with a child with down syndrome. It's not something to be afraid of, but it's a lot of responsibility. And if you don't stay on top of things, your, your child could kind of fall behind. And, um, mm-hmm. 
there's there needs to be programs set up where you can go to one place and have all your therapies in, in house because um, that's we're not lucky. the case. That's not the case in most places. No, in most cases, right? So we have to drive sometimes an hour in one direction, forty five minutes in another direction to go to all these therapies. Oh, shit. And if you're a nine to five mother uh, or father, it's it's hard to stay on top of that. So when right. I spoke to Doctor Raj, he had did a he had wanted a follow-up meeting with me and my wife and gave us a tour of his hospital and said, we'd like, you've inspired me to set up a down syndrome center through, through Advent health. There isn't one here. And we want to do that because of, of, of um, you know, we were inspired by what you guys have, have been through and what, you know, what you guys can bring to the table with what you think families need. So it'd be great to have, you know, this, this, like I said, this early Frank Sinatra obsession turn into something that develops, you know, a, a, a center for kids with Down syndrome to have all their therapies in house, all their all their medical, all their doctors. You know, they said when a kid comes in, you spend 15 minutes with a doctor and you're on to the next patient. But here, you'd spend an hour, hour and a half. You'd see every therapist, you'd see every doctor. You'd make sure you're on top of everything. Um, they'd know all the ins and outs of what a child with Down syndrome needs. And, and uh, it wouldn't be a guessing game. It'd be like the easy guide to how to raise a child with Down syndrome. I think that would be, you know, obviously that's a great cause and, and it's, it's awesome that you're able to help out with that because that does sound like something that would be something very helpful, right? And uh, mm -hmm. I know uh, I have friends, uh, I have a friend that has a, a rare, uh, really rare disease, not, not Down syndrome, it, it's something different causes seizures and stuff. And then mm -hmm. another one that um, has uh, a daughter with autism. Um, and I, I bring that up just to just ask the question of like, I know that there's uh, where they lie on the spectrums of these different diseases or different uh, uh, ab abnormalities. Uh, abnor I can't even say the word. Uh, <laughs> abnormalities. Uh, uh, where is your daughter on that? And if you're... For people who don't know, like if you stay on those things that you're talking about and get it all in one building and other other parents who have children uh, with Down syndrome and stuff uh, mm. with these therapies, they can they can hopefully get to a, a, a better quality of life um, later yeah. on. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, people have explained to me, you know, because I'm learning new stuff every day and um, people like pe the, the different spectrum of of. Folks with Down syndrome, uh, it changes just as much as, as people without Down syndrome. You have people that are way different in any regard, health-wise, um, uh, Down syndrome or not. But as far as the difference therapies can make, it's huge. You know, if you, if, um, you know, say you didn't have insurance and you're just afraid to put your child in any program because you just can't afford it. You know, when I spoke to Dr. Raj, he's like, I said, what happens if you have a child that can't afford treatment? He's like, we won't turn anybody away. You know, because this is all uh, um, driven driven by by donations and whatnot. We'll we'll handle all the kids. But if you have a child that doesn't do these therapies, they're gonna fall. They're gonna they're gonna fall behind in in in, in ways. And you don't want to, you know, when you have a child, you have your five year old son. Imagine him not getting all all of the things that he was um, reaching all, all all his full potential. You yeah. know, uh, you want to do everything you can and and. Um, it definitely makes a big difference. We've seen the difference firsthand of, of um, the things we've done along the way. You see it. You see it every week. Yeah, and I, I think I think uh, uh, part of part of that is 
I guess kind of a blessing is it, you get to celebrate those smaller moments too, right? Like uh, something mm-hmm. that uh, I, I spoke to somebody else who uh, who was talking about their child with epilepsy, and it's like that that help that uh, impede some of their progress as well. And um, but you get to every little thing is an accomplishment is like a big celebration, like like oh yeah, even bigger. You know what I mean? Like uh, I I don't know how how else to describe it, but it's just it you take the time to celebrate what other people take for granted and it's uh or oh, granted yeah. you know and not granite like the stone granted um, <laughs> <laughs> and it and it um and it truly puts things into perspective right oh absolutely it's uh she she becomes she became the center of all of our world you know her her older brothers absolutely adore her every every time she says a new word like just yesterday, I was, my son had was sitting around when I was sitting there with my daughter. I'm like, all right, say, uh, say this, say that, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. And he was just amazed about all the new things she was doing. You know, I'm like, just simple things like uh, say bow, wow, wow. And she go, wow, wow, wow. You know, and my son's like, what? She can do that? You know, so every <laughs> little thing is such, like you said, such a huge achievement. And, um, you know, like recently she had to get, um, she had a lung tie and a, and a, a tongue tie and a lip tie. So the dentist had to laser her her lip and then under her tongue. Okay. Uh, because her she couldn't pronounce she, her tongue couldn't move around as much. So since she got that done, she's saying all kinds of new things. She's doing all kinds of things. She does oh, this fantastic. when she's not happy. She sounds like a little Chewbacca now because she just this thing with her tongue <laughs> kind of thing that she, <laughs> That's she wasn't so awesome. doing. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't doing that before, but. Right. Uh, but yeah, every little achievement is is amazing, and um, it also helps that we had a child so far different than our older kids that our older kids can enjoy the baby and be part. They're almost like uncles now. Right. Yeah. That that's a big gap in age there. Right. Yeah. Man. Um. Well, I'm gonna let you go. I know you gotta. I know you want to spend time getting to the therapy there real quick, but I want to get back to the Ultra Bridge tour. I think we yeah uh, we digress like we always do here on the show, but we were talking about <laughs> coming up in November, starting in Europe. Um, and then, uh, walk me through the, the rest of the, you said you got like a year, year and a half already figured out for Alter bridge, right? Yeah, we go, um, we go out in the States in January, February, I believe. And then, uh, take a three week break, do another four or five week run in the States. Then after that, I believe we're going to go to Europe for, I don't know if it's been announced, but we always try to hit all the big festivals in Europe. And then, um, promoters have told my manager that um, they want to maybe do another third U.S. run of this tour. Um, I want to specifically get to uh, Greece um, on this this record cycle. I want to get to Israel. Rad. Have you uh, been to either of those places? I've been to Greece with Tremani, and we were, we were playing with Iron Maiden, and it was right off the bat. First time the crowd's seen the band, first time we've been there, it was one of the best shows we've ever done. I mean, it's like 65,000 people just... And the Maiden fans were, were that receptive. That's, 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 that's it was a good thing. That's incredible. Well, we did a tour, we did a tour um, supporting Maiden with Tremonti over in Europe. And that was, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where like, I hope this goes good. Because if it doesn't, it's, it's going to be stadiums and arenas full of angry people. But it went, I think as long as you play a, a tight, energetic show, um, the Maiden fans will, will dig it. Don't, yeah. don't pull out. Don't pull out the ballads. No, 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 no. Uh, no. We, we did a maiden tour in Europe uh, years ago, and uh, I asked the question because it took 
took about three solid shows before we started to win that crowd over. Because uh, especially in mm-hmm. Europe, I think you get a test that at least mm-hmm. the first four or five rows are the same. A lot of the same faces you'll see for that entire yeah. summer or that entire European trip, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was you know it was it was it was definitely a cool tour to have. And I remember when we um, when I went to the dressing room, there was a big bucket of Iron Maiden beers, and it was says to our friends in Tremonti, "Welcome to the tour. We're glad to have you." And all that. And took sweet a picture dudes. of that. For, sweet dudes, man. Love those. Guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. You got a picture of that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh no, yeah, I took a picture of that for the archives. I actually have. Um, I'm a pinball guy, so I've got two Iron Maiden pinball machines upstairs. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah. You're a pinball guy, like you like to collect the machines, or you're a pinball guy, like I am a pinball wizard. I, you know, get out. No, I'm. Uh, I collect machines, and I, I, you know, I don't. I don't think I'm a great pinball player, but I'll. I'll beat all my friends, you know, because I, because <laughs> I have, I have pinball machines. But when I, when I hang out with, you know, when I go up to the Stern Factory, or the Jersey Jack Factory, and I play, you know, these world champions, they absolutely crush you, you know. Well, you haven't spent the time like you did with guitar and learning how to sing like Sinatra as you have on right. the pinball machine yet. We'll, 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 we'll get yes, there yes. <laughs> but, but speaking of the pinball thing, I'm, uh, I've got two secret projects in the pinball world that are coming out in the next year or two that I'm a part of uh, that I'm really excited about. So my, my, my pinball love and my music love are coming together so they're, they're collab- and can you talk about it now or you want to hold that hold that off until it's a little closer to release no i've i you have to sign ndas to do to work on these okay. projects because because pinball they don't they only announce like right before a pinball machine comes out and they like to Wasn't keep it just like us with our records you don't want to leak right. the songs early right, right yeah right. okay totally makes sense i understand i understand mm-hmm. um yeah so cool uh i think that's pretty much it i mean for now um Love to stay in touch with you, man, and uh, yeah. continue our, our conversations. There is a lot more we could get into, obviously. Um, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface for this first chat. And, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, go uh, have a great rest of your day. Hope therapy goes well, man. It's been a pleasure sure. getting to know you and uh, talk a little bit of music with you, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Cheers, of course. Bye-bye. And that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks for being here with me, and thanks to Mark for being on the show. Such a great guest. I'm so glad to have gotten to know him. Looking forward to the follow-up chat later on this week to discuss uh, how that release of the new album, Pawns and Kings, came out. And I do want to talk to him a little bit more about that Jack Daniels he, uh, he had sitting there. Um, it was a really fun time doing this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week and a great weekend celebration going into Halloween. It's a big deal for me. I hope it's a big deal for you. Enjoy the week, and uh, until next time, as always, cheers. reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. 
Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. 